Welcome to Unfederated, a podcast for freelancers hosted by a brother and sister who are polar opposites, but have found a way to make a living doing what they love. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Rob. How's it going? Pretty good. Good. Um, so this is a special episode of the Unfederated podcast, isn't it? It is, because I can see you. That's right. Right here, one we're, arm's length away. We're in person. We're in person. Um, which is harder than actually recording from Denver and Chattanooga. We had to buy a whole bunch of new equipment. Yeah, and that's true. you watched at least one YouTube video. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I watched six. Most from people whose uh, English was their second language. And um, yes, anyways, the internet is fantastic sometimes. Yeah, well, you, you figured it out. If anyone's listening to this right now, you figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> so I can say that with confidence. Yes. That's a very good point. So, um, yeah, so this is the first live episode of the Unfederated Podcast. Uh, we are recording live uh, from Chattanooga. Um, Sarah's in town. And um, the Society of Work, which is a co-working space here in Chattanooga, was kind enough to uh, lend us some space to do a live recording, a Q&A episode. Um, I think I've mentioned on here before, but... Um, uh, there's a group, a uh, freelancer meetup that takes place at Society of Work the first Friday of every month in Chattanooga, and um, the Unfederated community is kind of a sponsor of that. And so um, instead of doing our regular scheduled meetup uh, this Friday, we decided, since Sarah was going to be in town, to record an episode of the show instead. That brings us the present. And we're here. Um, so we have some folks in the room with us that are kind enough to attend this live recording and we're going to, um, answer some questions both from them and perhaps from some that we got by email and yeah, let's I think do that's it. it. Let's do it. All right. Any questions? Gosh, it's hard to see. There's so many people here. <laughs> Hundreds. Um, we'll start with one that we got from online. Oh yeah. Uh, good idea. Yeah. Do you want me to read it? Uh, if you'd like, sure. Okay. <clears throat> For both of you, I'm wondering whether you keep track of things like client lead generation, e.g. how many prospects turn into clients, client satisfaction, or things of that sort. And if you do use the data, are you just tracking things to track them, or do you use it to make decisions like firing a client who is less profitable to focus on ones who are more profitable? That's a really good question. That's such a good question. We have such nice listeners. Um, this this event is also um, uh, a local restaurant sponsors free beer for this event. And yes. so um, I feel like every time I put my cup down, I'm going to make a really loud noise. It's going to show up on the podcast. I've been drinking during every podcast we've ever <laughs> recorded. So <laughs> I get We're new, good. New You're problem fine. for um, Yeah, that's a really great question. Uh, um, what say you? Now that you're taking mm. a big sip of your beer. Yeah. So recording uh, client data is one of the things I kind of stumbled onto accidentally and by using uh, Google Forms as my intake. Um, so, it, you know, there's a whole bunch of questions that you, you walk through and I send intake, which is huge for a silly um, profession. Like I have lawyers are super um, backwards and we have these engagement letters and you always have to change the, the names and everything on the engagement and save it as a PDF. And invariably when you save it as a pdf you see that you made a mistake and left an old client name on it and it's this whole thing and i've done it a ton so using a google form i felt like was so cutting edge when i started it it's been great because it says referral on it which was mostly just curiosity based 
Um, but now I use that um, quite liberally. I pull it up and I can see all of my clients who've come through and how they found me. So <clears throat> that is one piece of information that I use pretty regularly. For instance, I just uh, picked my top referral sources and um, bought customized Yetis for them. Nice. Customized Yetis? Yeah. Like with their names? Yeah. Well done. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, that's awesome. So once it's in Google Forms, do you do anything with it from that perspective other than send them gifts? And, where, and where's the link to this Google form? <laughs> Anytime somebody says, hey, uh, I want to retain you or we talk, uh, I say, I'll send you a link to my engagement slash intake form. And I just send it in a hyperlink. They fill it in. Um, and then I, so I use the referral source thing to determine like who, who I owe for my successes. Also maybe, um, you know, quality of referral sources, um, that can, can help you make informed decisions about like, if you're going to take a retainer up front and things like that. Um, and then I also pull all of the addresses of my clients in and use them on minted, uh, to send my like Christmas cards out. Yep. I send cards twice a year in the real U.S. Postal Service mail, well, Minted does, and I get just huge amounts of response from that for some reason. Nice. So that's two really silly ways that I use yeah. data. Um, I'm trying to think for me, I, so I, I view my business as this long, elaborate game of Moneyball. I did not know that. Please um, expound on that. <laughs> so I, I have a spreadsheet where I uh, include all of my, so most of my clients are retainer and I know how many months I'm going to be working with them from the onset. And so I use it to plan my capacity out in advance. So when I get a new agreement in, I put it on the spreadsheet. So I know how many hours from each month that I'm spoken for and then what um, the the revenue for that is as well. and. Uh, that helps me kind of forecast a little bit in the future for my business. Um, one thing I also do with that spreadsheet is I figure out what my actual like um, cost or, or revenue per hour is for each client um, based on how much time I project it'll take me versus how much I'll actually, how much I actually spend. And so I certainly have some clients that I usually come out ahead on and some that I come out behind on. Mm -hmm. um, and so I kind of use that data to uh, keep tabs on my clients, adjust my pricing when appropriately, when appropriate. But also if I have new opportunity leads that show up, I will sometimes weigh them against my current clients. And if I feel like I'm increasing my overall client base somehow, um, I will, I will consider making a trade. <laughs> so start looking for how to um, part ways with an existing client and um, bring on the new one or, or not, or just say no to, to leads. Um, huh. so, so when I'm at capacity or near capacity, my pricing gets adjusted such that like, I would only be entertaining a client that I feel like is a, like a positive step for my overall book of business. Yeah. I guess if that makes sense. I like the make a trade thing. It's yeah. It's a really, uh, PC way of saying, like, yeah, you know, firing a client, you're making a trade. <laughs> That's right. Like in sports, it's an, it's an upgrade <laughs> or pogs. <laughs> pogs. What? You just referenced pogs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, you get the slammer out. And you, um, 
<laughs> yeah. So, so that's kind of been interesting for me. Like when you think about different ways you can grow your overall book business when you're a one person business, um, one way is to increase the amount, uh, you charge your clients or increase the amount you can make per hour, which is your ultimately your most limited resource. And so for me, when we've talked a little bit about the different stages of a freelance business and how that evolves over time. So for me, that's kind of, um, once I got to the stage where I had filled myself up with anyone that was willing to pay me to do work and started transitioning to do, focusing more on clients that, uh, were asking me to do work. I was, pr- I was proud of, then this kind of came into play because it allowed me to say, okay, priority goes to clients that have work that I can do that I'm proud of. And second to that is, you, you know, quite, quite frankly, who, Pays me the most, <laughs> I mean, you know. Uh, we, our, yeah, our I like that. Yeah, profitable projects, yeah. right? Oh, there we go. Yeah. Um, wait, so log- logistical question: How mm-hmm. do you get that data? Do you use uh, time tracking? I do. Yeah. Okay. So, Which one do you use? Great question. Uh, I use Harvest to track time. I don't send invoices with it. It's it's almost purely internal that I use the data. Um, and so uh, I'm not. Are you pretty good in religiously entering your time? I am. Yes. Um, I do the, the one nuance to that is there are certain tasks I do weekly, monthly, whatever for all of my AdWords clients where I'll just jump into an account. I do one thing, go to the next account, do yeah. one thing. And it's hard to track time for those. Um, but, uh, Harvest has a setting where you can choose for it to round up any time entry to the nearest, whatever, six minutes, 10 minutes, yeah. 15 minutes. And so I use that function to round up my entries to what I feel like accounts for all of the little tasks that I'm not, you know, I'm not actually capturing. And so I, I think ultimately it kind of washes itself out. That's fair. Yeah. So anyways, I use that to kind of compare, um, you know, I have a, a guess on just when I sign the agreement, what, what that's going to look like and how much per hour I'm going to be able to charge. And then over, um, over time, I, I kind of, jump back in and, and keep tabs on that and make sure that that's really happening. And also the n- nice thing about harvest is you can put in like, Hey, I've allocated eight hours for this client this month. And once you hit 80 hours or 80% of that hour, um, allotment it emails you and kind of tells you you're near oh, there. Great. So, um, occasionally I'll throw up the red flag with a client and say, Hey, you, you know, um, I'd love to do more on this account. I'm out of hours for this month. So we'll wait till next month. If that's cool. Cool. If you want me to keep going, you know, here's an hourly rate or here's let's talk about uh, increasing your, your, uh, your retainer, something like that. It makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I, I've had a couple clients that are really impatient and frugal and, um, what's the, the project management there's, uh, uh, quality, um, timeliness and, uh, shoot, what's the other, it's like a three prong deal. I'll look it up. Um, okay. <laughs> but yeah, you can only have two out of the three. You can't have all three. And mm. so when I have a client that wants uh, all three, then I know um, a conversation is needed. Is it timeliness? Cost. Ah. Quality, quality, time, and cost. Yeah. So it's either, uh, you know, cheap and fat or expensive and fast or yeah. uh, cheap and slow, uh, assuming quality holds constant, or you can do, uh, you can raise in lower quality, but you can only have two of the three. So hmm. anyways, that's... Uh, that's kind of how I approach, uh, that's probably the biggest source of my data analytics. I have a couple apps that track stuff for me too, like text expander and Grammarly. I keep track of oh, yeah. how much time I save or, 
um, using their app. And so I kind of will reference that occasionally um, uh, just to justify the expense for those apps. But um, it's not really shaping my business other than whether I continue to subscribe to those tools or not. Yeah, you're not using it to make decisions. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you think there's a like a particular type of data mining that you could do that would inform you more? There's something Mm. on your list. Yeah, um, I don't know. I, I mean, not necessarily. I think that that has worked pretty well for me just to see those uh, that number come in. I think um, I think some of that would be easier if I wasn't doing mainly retainer clients at times, and then other times because then I, you wouldn't have to monitor your you know your actual revenue per hour as closely, perhaps. But um, but then that you know and other times it's easy because uh with with flat rate invoices if if things get done more efficiently then then I benefit from that and that's nice too I think I'd like to start um mining data that's more soft data because there's um you know like this is this client is anxiety provoking and a lot of trouble <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I spent a lot of time on it because um or Today, you know, maybe I build four hours, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Tuesday felt like nothing in a total dream. Wednesday, I felt like, you know, the house was burning down around me. And then Thursday felt like an eight-hour day. I would like to be able to start isolating why some of those feel yeah. so different. I can see that. And addressing it. It's kind of hard just with the numbers. Yeah. Um, do you ever adjust your pricing based on the, um, was it the, the PETA factor, the pain in the... Oh, you know what factor? Oh, cute. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm probably bill people who have the PETA factor, just how long it takes me. Whereas everyone else, yeah, especially people who are a delight. I mean, I genuinely sent an email to one of my favorite clients yesterday being like, if this doesn't work out for you, don't pay me. I'm just going to put that in writing uh-huh. because working with you is a pleasure. <laughs> so nice. So um, he d- they just don't get the, the favorable pricing, I guess. Yeah, I guess if Ooh, you're charging We have hour, a, an authentic question from the audience. An, an authentic question? That was an authentic question from online. That's true. Go. But what if, what if I was saying that in front of all of you and it wasn't actually happening? Then it would seem really weird. But go ahead. So uh, David asked, how do we, uh, how do we approach um, offloading one client in favor of another when we're trading POGs? Because uh, POGs is going to be in the title of this episode 100%. Um, probably in the custom artwork too, because I still have my POGs from when I was a kid. Oh my gosh, attic. of course you do. And Michael, you, you stole all of them I've from me. I've got a Michael 100%. Jordan slammer, so deal yeah. with it. Yeah. One, one with a yin-yang and, and one with Michael Jordan. I remember that. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think for me, I will often, to the extent that I'm able, when it comes time for a client to reevaluate their my agreement with them, and it's someone that I, I wouldn't mind to offload, I, um, I'd let them know that my pricing has changed since I first took them on and and give them a proposal for what it would look like to go forward and that often looks like a proposal that would put them back in the conversation of the client i'm excited to have you know um either in the number of hours or the you know the price you know price per hour they don't usually see but like the the overall price and say like you know based on all 
you know, I'm now taking clients with a minimum of a six month term at this price point. Like I'd love for you guys to continue being a part of that. Um, if you're not able to, I understand. Um, one of the, by the nature of what I'm doing, which is pay-per-click advertising, I'm usually fairly, I, I mean, I'm able to track how much revenue or leads are coming in through what I'm doing. So if, if we've had the right conversations ahead of that, I often know the overall value of, of the service I provide. And so usually I can tell like, Hey, there's no way this client should do this. Like, you know, like they, they shouldn't be willing to pay me this. And, and so, um, I'll approach those conversations a little differently, you know, um, often just admitting like, Hey, this is where my pricing would be. But like, I know where we're at with things now. It's not a good fit. What um, if you just don't want to work with them anymore for any, anything at all? Has any that, amount of yeah. Money? Um, has that happened? It, are you uh, just that viable? <laughs> There's always a number. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Put enough money on the table. Um, no, Me too. <laughs> I, I absolutely have had clients like that and I have handled that almost exclusively through pricing. So, mm. um, I've never had a client, thankfully, I guess I've, I've, uh, aimed well with my pricing. I've never had a client that I've, if I price <laughs> enough that, that, has said, yeah, we'll do that still, you know? Uh, it's always, uh, if it's someone that I don't want to work with, I often will include some aggressive price increase and perhaps some additional, you know, weird factors that come in that I just <laughs> I just know that, like, uh, less frequent reporting or, um, Got it. you know, no more in-person in -person meetings. Like, I'm just, you know, we'll just meet by phone or, like, I don't know, depending on the client, okay. whatever those things are that I... I know that they're probably not going to be willing to pay more and lose those things. Um, and so that's, that's how I've approached that. Um, it's hard when you've got a client, I'll, I'll mention this too with some of my clients that are agencies and I'm white labeling for them. Like sometimes they bring me some work that I'm not super happy with, but I don't want to lose the agency, you know? And so that's, that's my harder situation that I have to deal with because uh, sometimes I'll swallow some, you know, some not great things in order to keep the relationship with the agency going. Um, but yeah. I think Anything we have another, well, I mean, I, I try to, I view if it's not working out you're with nicer me, than me, is that what you're about to say? If it's not working out with me and a client it's that I have an ongoing relationship with, it's usually that I'm not the right fit. Like I had a client who, um, they would never designate one person to talk with me. So I was like always talking to a million different people, which is eats up a ton of time. And then, um, they were just, they wanted a really aggressive attorney. I felt like, and I was not that. So I found one who I trusted and I matched them and I, you know, wrote off all this time, um, like connecting them and, uh, introducing them and getting the new, the new guy up to speed. And then um, it went really well, but I ran into the new guy and he said, yeah, I don't know if I'm the right fit for them. I think I'm too aggressive. So <laughs> I think it's just, I don't know what I'll do in the, the next time. Maybe it was just, they're always going to push or pull no matter which direction. Another question. So the question is, do you schedule a time to reevaluate um, who's profitable, which pog to uh, put in the trade pile? Uh -huh. um, what do you do, Rob? Um, I don't know. I probably do it on kind of a quarterly basis, just from a planning perspective. But I think more commonly it happens when a new opportunity arises and I'm like, oh, okay, do I need to say no to this? 
because oh. I, I just like I don't have capacity for it. Or like, let me go look at my list and see like, would I rather have, you know, would I rather work with this opportunity than something else I'm I'm currently doing? You know, um, I think one challenge and um, when you're just getting started, which you mentioned you are, is at first you go through a phase of like, I'm just going to take all the work I can get because like, I want to do this on my own. I want to be self-employed. Like if you're willing to pay me, like, you know, we'll shake on it. <laughs> and then at some point, like hopefully that swells and you get to a point where you're like, okay, I'm, I'm more or less at capacity or making the amount of money I need to make or however you define that with these clients. And then it becomes this game of like, okay, how do I get a little bit more picky and cheesy about who I am working with? Like, well, I know these, you know, I don't enjoy working with these clients. I wonder if I can, you know, trade them out somehow. Or um, I really love this guy, but, you know, or this gal, but I really struggle making money on their projects, you know, for whatever reason. And, and you know, I don't know that that game ever stops. You know, I, th- I think there's always going to be, you know, clients will come, clients will go just organically, regardless of, of, like something you're doing to cause that to happen. But then beyond that, it's like, you know, it's, it's always nice to see if you can take on a project you're super excited about, or, you know, you, you start working with someone and you realize, you know, I wish I wasn't. I, um, I have a different setup than you. And so, um, I go through that process somewhat organically when it's the last day of the month the first day of the month and I'm late on invoices mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I'm going through all the invoices and seeing all of the clients kind of all at once with a number attached to them. You know, sometimes you think, oh, that's great. Or sometimes you go, that person hasn't paid me in 90 days and they've been the most demanding of any of these people. <laughs> so it's a, it's a good time to start recognizing that. And I haven't probably, um, well, I don't know. I fire, I haven't fired clients, but I have referred a lot of clients that have been headed my way to the other people when I don't feel like they're a good fit for me. So I've avoided a, a number and then, um, repositioned an, another number. <laughs> so. Yeah. It's probably worth saying like my, my average new client is doing a six month agreement with me. So my turnover is not as rapid or, you know, I'm not always looking for new clients once I got to the kind of that capacity level. Um, you know, thankfully most of my clients I enjoy working with and I retain them month over month. Sarah has a, a myriad of short-term projects. Yeah. So she's probably got, you know, four or five times as many clients. You're just not doing work for them regularly or the majority of them regularly, yeah. I would guess. So it's, um, you know, for me, if I have a client I don't enjoy working with, like I might be committed to them for months, you know, so that's, that's like true. hard to find out um, and, and work through. And sometimes for you, the easiest way to part ways with them is just to finish the project. Right. And, well, you know. it's, it's all these people who um, view you as their lawyer. So you finish one project and then it might be a year, but it, it might be 20 days and you hear from them with something else. So sometimes you know, you need to change it. But yeah, I, I envy your shorter, more manageable list of clients. Yeah. But at the same time, if you get stuck with one, you're really stuck with them. Yeah. I delivered um, holiday baskets to all of my... Did you really? What'd you cl- put in them? Clients. Um, beer. And I got some bottles of Chimay and some um, some of those enamel coffee mugs from, oh, from a brand neat. I really yeah. like following. And, and 
Uh, we've got a, uh, the Hot Chocolatier is a local business that, okay. that makes um, yeah. really awesome chocolates and so I had some of that stuff too. Anyways, just like a really random yeah. mix of some of my favorite things. But I can do that because much smaller list. Well, sm- yeah, smaller list, smaller yeah. town to drive around uh-huh. baskets. That's that would take me one time on the scooter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the question is: Do uh, we've joked about the the Sarah given uh, referral sources Yetis, and I've given clients gift baskets at the end of the year. Um, is that a good use of time and resources? Is there monetary gain from that? What, how do you feel about that? From I never thought there would be. I thought that was such a waste of time and money. And then I somehow I sent out Christmas cards. Um, because I was changing my contact information after a couple of months of being out of my own. And I thought, you know, this is going to be really hard because I just changed it like six months ago. So I sent them out with, the, it was a picture of me on the front. That's always what I do is put all these pictures because I always think people won't remember my name. So there's like pictures all over. A picture of me on the front. Um, and then on the back, there was a picture of me like drinking champagne alone with a Santa hat on. And it was like, this year's holiday party was really boring. <laughs> um, and I got shout outs on Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram. And I probably um, actually January and February of that year were my two best months that I'd been out. And I, I think it was because I just heard back from so many people who I was just they forgot that they meant to call me and, you know, Q1 rolled around right about the time that they got reminded about me. So I became convinced that it is, I mean, for the amount of cards, which is pretty cheap, less than a dollar each, it seemed to really benefit and people don't do it as much anymore. So, um, it seemed to work for me, but I don't know if it's different in different industries. Does it, it seems to work for you. You did the gift baskets. Yeah. For, for me, I kind of viewed it. I don't think I had huge expectations for getting ROI from it per se. Um, I did view it as maybe an opportunity to strengthen my relationship with those clients just on a personal level. Like um, I feel like being able to open myself up to uh, for people to see me as more uh, who I am more authentic and more of my personality besides like my, um, from, from day to day, I get very tunnel vision and I'm very all about business when I'm talking to people. And so for me, it, I, I viewed it as like an opportunity to show a little bit more of like who I am when I'm not managing AdWords, you know? So that's kind of <laughs> why I try to include some of my favorite things and just make it a little bit more like uh, a little more personable or transparent. Um, and, and that was kind of my, my, uh, thinking behind doing it. It's just, you know, I, I, I'm yeah. not much more than AdWords, but yeah, <laughs> a I don't know. That <laughs> That's pretty much how you approach yeah. things. I, um, I have been surprised at what a big difference that kind of thing makes, but I think maybe it's because my industry people just forget about me and they forget, and they maybe have on their list, like, you know, talk to the lawyer about the thing or hire a lawyer to redo our, uh, employment policies or whatever. But they just need that push to actually reach out. I, I think that's a benefit of being a freelancer too, because you like you're part of a big firm or big organization yeah. and you do some sort of mass acknowledgement, right? Like it's, it's impersonable. It's, it's like that tin of cookies that you only see at Christmas where there's like the seven different kinds of cookies, you know, it's like you get one of those and you set it on the pile and I'm, I'm thinking of Christmas vacation where it's all the all, same. Yeah. there's the table with all the gifts and they're mm-hmm. all the same same awkwardly wrapped gift like it's just a really um for most businesses it's an impersonable 
impersonal interaction. And so like as a one person company, it's like an opportunity to be very personal, you know, and, and it be more of a connection point. So I had, I, I felt that way. I had, I flew out, um, to California to talk with a client. Um, and we talked a lot about the importance of firing employees who aren't working out and, you know, how it's better for the employee. It's better for the company. Um, you know, the way to do that. Um, and I used a lot of, they had a, I used a lot of like pruning metaphors mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and so I got, I sent them a bonsai tree for nice. Christmas, which is like a month after I felt like it really hammered the idea home and they were like, Oh, that's, that's cute. We talked about that ad nauseum. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's kind of cool when you do something super thoughtful or um, on point like that, it seems to work out in your favor. Yeah. Um, we'll take this break and, and um, in case there's one other question to give a shout out to our uh, sponsor for today's episode, just the Society of Work. Uh, Society of Work is a membership-based co-working space in downtown Chattanooga. It's a membership-based co-working space in downtown Chattanooga. Uh-huh. Yes. Um, it's actually great. It's in the Innovation District of Chattanooga. So if you're in and around this area and looking for a place to work, you should check them out. Um, also, the the beer for our happy hour is sponsored by The Bitter Alibi, um, which is also a wonderful place you should check out if you're in and around Chattanooga. Uh, we are drinking their uh, uh, Vienna Lager, which is actually from Odd Story. So uh, Odd Story is also a bar here and uh, a, a venue here in Chattanooga, and they brew their own beer. And uh, Bitter Alibi was kind enough to provide some of that to us. Um, it's delicious, and most of what um, Bitter Alibi carries is delicious also. Yes. Uh, so big shout out to both of them for, for uh, helping uh, put all this together. Indeed. All right. Any, any, uh, last question. All right. Well, cool. Wrap we'll up. wrap up. Yeah. Um, thanks to our, uh, sponsors, Society of Work and Bitter Alibi. And, and that and, beer place. And, and Odd Story Brewing. <laughs> uh, who get, who get, and Pogs. A free, a Thank free you, shout Pogs. Out. Thank you for the, to the inventors of Pogs. Um, if I was smart, I would have looked you up on Wikipedia to figure out who you were. <laughs> and, uh, thanks to everyone who's in attendance for, uh, this live recording. Thanks, Rob. Yep. See you next time, Sarah. (laughs) Bye.